0: Over the hills and far away at the break of dawn, there's a place you can always stay with Blind Hog and Acorn. Welcome to Blind Hog and Acorn. I'm Mary Jane the Acorn and your host for the podcast. Well, this morning we had ground fog, but did we get rain? No, it diverted all around us yesterday. We heard the thunder and watched the tree limbs blow in the wind, but no rain for us, just a few drops. Well, I did get to report a whopping 0.08 inches to the Kokoras Precipitation Group, but that was all. The heat index is supposed to be 103 Fahrenheit. Ugh! Already it's thick and muggy. Blind Hog will be cutting down a few dead trees along the drive. Well, that's what his plan is, at least. We've got to get that firewood cut and split and talk about sweaty work. The good thing is that he'll be in the shade. The woods have been pretty much cleared of the undergrowth, and getting around the dead trees is safer. You can easily walk around the trees and all because of the goats. Goats are first ruminants to learn to care for and some of the hardest to keep alive. It has been said that a goat will spend its entire life just looking for a way to die and for some goats I've known that's all but true. Goats are browsers which means they prefer to eat the leafy things that are at eyeball level. They're not naturally grazers like sheep and cows. However, we have to keep our goats in fields, and once the browse is gone, they have to graze like sheep and cows. Goats can also do too good a job with their browsing, tackling multiflora rows, poison ivy, brambles, and anything hanging five to six feet from the ground. The woods along our drive look like somebody came in and cleared them, and essentially, that's exactly what happened. We have to monitor the forage in the woods so that the goats can trim, but not downright kill out all the brambles. The paddock behind the house used to be full of multi-floor roses, and we called it the Rose Field. Used to be full, not anymore. We couldn't even see across the field when we moved here, and now there's not one rose bush left. Problem is, once the goats begin to graze closer to the ground, they begin to pick up parasites. Worm larvae will crawl up the wet grass and concentrate in the dew drops. Once the grass is dry, the worm larvae supposedly dies. Our Spanish goats will wait until the grass is dry before they even head out to forage. I don't know if this is a learned behavior, as the older goats are the ones who decide when and where they'll leave the sheds and head on out to the fields. Fighting parasites is an ongoing issue. Goats are never truly parasite-resistant, but they can be parasite-tolerant. One study said 80% of the worm issues are with 20% of the herd, and I believe it. Kidding, nursing, weaning, they're all stressful on goats, and a stressed goat is even more susceptible to parasites. Parasites predominantly attack the gut lining of the goats, attaching themselves and sucking blood from the host. Some worms are also becoming resistant to the deworming agents, like the MRSA germs. Some dewormers are safer than others, and others can kill a goat if even twice the dose is given. Protocols are constantly changing, and I keep a list tacked to the wall in the workshop above the box of dewormers. The other afternoon, I was feeling a bit drowsy on the porch, and I made myself an espresso. I usually try to avoid caffeine after the morning coffee, and the effect was just what I needed. Feeling energized, I told Blind Hog I was going to go out and see if I could bring the commercial goats up to the house and pen them. The kids needed to be worked. The kids needed deworming, vaccinations, and the bucklings all needed to be banded. It, of course, was 5 p.m. The goats were in the field and came when I called, all filing into the holding pen. I gave them a little feed as a reward, and once they gobbled that up, they were pushed into the alley. Blind Hog and I gathered our things, 26 syringes filled with CDT vaccine already drawn up, a bottle of dewormer with the tubing and squirt gun attached, and a bag of green Cheerio-like rubber bands for the bucklings and the pink livestock crayon we have a 16 foot wire panel the same like what we use in the garden that's attached at one end of the fence we pull the other end around and the goats can be trapped in a corner it works great we would run a few goats into the area trap them in the corner and grab the kids the first one we grabbed screamed her head off It was like we were trying to turn her inside out. She was so loud, our neighbor TC called, thinking a goat had its head stuck in a fence. I reassured her that no, it was just us, but it is nice when your neighbors listen out for you like that. Each goat kid got its vaccination for tetanus and clostridium, a squirt of dewormer, mainly for tapeworms, and the pink mark on their forehead. The pink mark is very crucial. With all the kids looking alike, the tidy whities as I call them, we needed to be able to tell which ones we'd worked and which ones still needed to be grabbed. The male kids, the bucklings, were also banded. I have a tool with four prongs that will stretch a small rubber ring that looks like a green cheerio. This is applied on the goat, above the testicles in the scrotum, and under the belly. The blood supply will be cut off to the scrotum below the band, and the testicles will die, dry up, and eventually the whole thing will fall off in a couple weeks. It is not my favorite thing to do by any means. With calves, we band if really young, but if they're more than a couple months old... I'll actually, use a scalpel and denut manually. Using a bander, one also runs the risk of a testicle slipping up. This slipped testicle will remain above the band up inside the body, and you can't see it. Generally, the high body heat will make it sterile. You know, they hang down for a reason but you'll eventually find that you have a castrated male animal with all the secondary sex characteristics and behaviors of an intact male. For this reason in older calves, I do indeed prefer the scalpel method and counting to two. I won't go into the exact procedure. I'm sure your imagination is graphic enough. The goats, however, are much easier to band when they're young, but not too young. The urinary system for the bucklings needs to develop, and early castration can cause issues. So, I have to wait a couple months, but not too long. At three and four months, these kids are precocious, and some can even be successful breeders at these tender young ages. There are all kinds of different castrators, ending tools of various designs that are used for small medium and even bull-sized scrotums and then there are the cutters and crushers the latter clamps down on the vessels leading to the testicles breaking the cords and thus also causing the testicles to shrivel up i haven't tried those why bother with castration well aside from the pregnancy thing Banding the bucklings will allow them to stay with their sisters and moms. No need to pull them off at three months old and no unwanted breedings. The bucklings, now called weathers, are eventually going to go to market. Now we can keep them around and let them grow until the time comes to sell them. Summer is usually the slump in the market when the supply is high and the price is low. And winter prices are generally higher when there's fewer goats going to market. Yes, goats go to market same as beef, chicken, hogs, and lambs. Where do you think that meat for your goat taco came from? Goat meat is at the top of the world's most popular meat list. It's just not that popular in the United States. Fun fact, if every goat in the U.S. was sold today and butchered, the annual demand for goat meat in the country would still not be met. The U.S. imports a huge amount of goat meat from Australia and New Zealand, and the prices just keep going up. Five to seven female goats and their twin kids can live on the same amount of pasture as one beef cow and her calf. On a good day, a stalker steer calf weaned at six, seven months, Will bring about seven eight hundred dollars. It's then taken to the feed lot where it has to be fed out for several more months. Each meat goat kid has a potential to be sold for a hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars or more and will be directly processed. Meanwhile, that beef calf is just being weaned. I'll let you do the math, but tell me, acorn, why don't people raise more goats? Well, it's a fencing-slash-predator-slash-parasite problem, and in some cases, a machismo issue. Goats are hard, as in costly, to contain, and this is because a goat knows what they need to eat, and they're by far the pickiest and choosiest nibbler on the farm. If they think the food is better on the other side of the fence, guess where they're going. Goat fencing is also expensive, but if it's done right, it will last and keep the herd contained. Predators are the other problem, mainly stray dogs and some coyotes. And then the parasites. I believe parasites are the number one cause of goat mortality. Some farmers and ranchers saw goats as poor man's cattle, but that stigma is changing. Texas ranchers are now stocking their 1,000-plus acre spreads with hundreds of goats. They're seeing the financial attractiveness of the lowly goat. We sell our weathers for the cabrito market. Dolings are sold to other people for breeding goats. Any goat with a bad attitude and behavior, though, can jump right into the freezer. Be nice or be tasty. We had a buck once who started life as a sweetheart. I even named him the Afrikaner word for sweetheart, leafling. He was a boar goat after all, a breed from South Africa. He was red with a heart-shaped white mark on his forehead. He ended up turning into a complete bastard, challenging me as a competitor wherever I walked among his girls a water pistol, shepherd's crook, and eventually a riding crop. I would try anything to keep him outside my circle of personal space. His modus operandi was to sneak up from behind and hook my thigh with one of his horns and then try to flip me. Leafling was also part Houdini and would go sideways through the pipes of a gate, climb fences, take the shocks from the electric fence wire and was just an overall bad boy he took that ride to the market where he meekly walked untethered behind a yard worker off our trailer and down the aisle right into a holding pen i knew by the way the guys were looking at him that he would get another second chance at a farm leafling looked really really nice and of course, unfortunately, he was also the most expensive goat I ever bought. Market prices are currently averaging about two and a quarter to three fifty a pound for live market kids. Premium market kids have even been hitting four dollars a pound. Replacement dolings can sell for a hundred and fifty and up, and some fancy show goat kids will literally sell for thousands of dollars, depending on the breed. Don't even get me started on goats for the big livestock shows. People will pay over $10,000 for a castrated goat kid, just so Johnny or Susie can try to win a bunch of money. The problem is, the body style desired by the show people are of little use in real life for field goats, who need certain physical characteristics to make them good at doing the goaty things not turning a goat into a sheep wannabe a registered dairy goat doling oh they can be 250 and up depending on what the market will pay in the early spring you can find dairy bottle baby kids for about $25 Now that the bucklings are weathers, I'll plan on keeping them here until they're pushing the upper desired weight limits, about 50 to 60 pounds. There is definitely a sweet spot for the market size. That way I can sell the heavier ones early and hold on to those lighter ones for a while. We have 57 kids running around. Three dolings are already spoken for, as is the two-year-old black Spanish buck. I'm also planning on selling our French Alpine Buck and breed all of our goody Girls, dairy, commercial, and Spanish, to Fred and George, the Savannah Twins. Fred and George are ultra laid back, not at all like Leafling the Asshat. Savannas are a slightly heavier-built meat goat, a little heavier than the Spanish, and are predominantly white, long-eared, with black skin, which is great for their noses and under the tails where skin cancers can occur on pinky-skinned goats. Hey listeners, while Acorn goes to refill her coffee cup, do me a favor. Subscribe to Blind Hog and Acorn Podcast and get new episodes. Go visit the website. While you are scrolling and clicking, www.blindhogandacorn.com and tell your friends about the podcast. You can tell them it's really funny or tell them it's so bad they won't believe it until they hear it. Acorn doesn't have many Facebook followers and I might have three or four myself. Tell your friends about the podcast and help spread the word. "'Alas! What is this? Thunder? Wind? Here comes the cloudburst, and the rain has arrived. Walnut limbs are whipping around. The goats love their leaves, which are also a natural dewormer. The garden is getting a good soaking. I'm going to have to go out and see if the sunflowers and corn are still standing afterwards.' Blind Hog rented a magazine we get from our local electric co op that if it be rainy on the 1st of July, it will be rainy off and on for the next four weeks. Well, I'll certainly go for that. The goats do not like rain. We have the two barns and several three sided sheds for them to get under cover. In the woods, they'll hunker down under the cedars. The dairy goats, though, don't seem to mind rain near as much as the Spanish goats. A few of our goats have the pleasure of wearing the crown of shame. These are goats who continue, as in more than once, to stick their head through the openings in the woven wire fence and can't back out due to their horns. Three are sporting the 12-inch section of PVC pipe, Gorilla taped across the base of their horns. If we had known it at the time, we would have fenced the farm perimeter with the 4 by 4 goat fence we use now instead of the 6 by 6 cattle field fence. It's all hindsight. One Sunday, Blind Hog and I were walking down the gravel road, taking in a bit of exercise when we came across a leg with a cloven foot, and it was black. I looked at it, right there in the middle of the road, and texted our neighbor, Colleen. Was one of her hair sheep missing? Colleen texted back, nope, not hers. When we got back, we walked into the fields to check. I told Blind Hog, well, you know, we've just got that one black, uh, goat, uh, oh no. Sure enough, there she was, head through the fence. She was dead, of course her back legs missing, and the torso hollowed out. I got the game camera and set it up. I was curious to know who was feasting on our goat. I also had the great idea to tie the head to the fence and keep it in view of the camera. Next day, I went up to check the site. The camera was there, but the goat vanished. I yanked the camera and came to the house, got the SD card out to preview the pictures. There was the picture of me walking away from the camera after I set it up and another of me coming back towards it to take it down. Whoever took the goat, there were no pictures. The camera was not triggered by any other movement. So goats, this PSA for wearing the crown of shame is for your protection. When we re-fence the farm, and we will one day re-fence it, you can rest assured that we'll be replacing the cattle field fence with the 4x4 goat fence. It just makes sense. I finally got around to planting seeds for all the fall garden, the broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, and beets. Hard winter squash is already coming up in its bed. I even planted a couple knuckles of fresh ginger in a planter pot. The ginger was nice and heavy with a few good eyes. I left it on the counter until two decent sprouts began to form, and into the dirt it went. I'm also growing pineapples. Pineapples are super easy to start. You just twist the tops off the fruit. Yes, you can twist them off, and then peel back several leaves from the core end. Leave the top to dry for a day or two, and then put the bottom, the core end, into the top of a glass of water. It'll root and then can be planted in the dirt. You might need to change the water every other day or so. I also realized that I was about out of elderflower syrup. The other evening, actually it was the evening that we worked the goat kids, I went to pour myself a wee dram of sheep liniment, old bush mills, to which I add a splash of elderflower syrup when I realized the syrup was about gone. Oh, whaley, whaley! I make two kinds of elderflower syrup, one with and one without alcohol. I have plenty of the vodka-based kind. Think of a homemade St. Germain's. So I went out to get the blossom heads for the other variety. The umbrels of the elderberry plant are like white umbrellas made up of dozens of tiny white flowers. They smell wonderful. Get the connection? Umbrals and umbrellas. You stuff a bunch of the flowers into a gallon jar, add some sliced and juiced lemons, organic for this, please, as you've got to use the peels, and fill the jar to the top with a hot, simple syrup, one-to-one water and sugar. Let it steep for a few days, strain and bottle. Voila! Voila! blind hog had asked me not a couple days before if i had enough syrup and at that time i thought i did luckily we're surrounded by elderberry plants and they're all in full bloom that kimchi experiment from the last episode well it's now a week old i should be able to jar it up into pints next week it smells like it's fermenting i guess we'll find out I canned up some tomatoes and zucchini with onions and garlic. I just love that stuff. Blind Hog is not a big fan, and he manages to poke it down. I'll keep trying to pick the summer squash when they're super small, but one always hides until it is, like, way big. Big squash gets shredded for cookies and brownies. Blind Hog said he would actually prefer the summer squash cooked this way. I'll make a note. Well, I guess that'll wrap things up from here. Until next time, this is the acorn. Take care.